Uh-huh. Grab hold of that torch and move our, move the community forward. The progress of the black community stopped on our watch. That's a fact. That's not what I think. But you're making a good point, Fred. Yes. It's incomplete. We carried the torch. Right. We just didn't pass it on. Well, we when it was, when Isn't we that what I just to said? It, on, it wasn't failed? received. You know, when, when, you have an, an in, when you have a relay race, you yes. pass the torch, but the runner in front of you has to take has the torch. And, and, and young millennials said, hey, this is non-racial America. We have arrived. Yes. I got a car. I got two cars. I, I live in boat. the suburbs. I live in the suburbs. There is no racial issue. I'm, that's not my generation. That's your problem. As they said to me when I spoke someplace months ago, you are a relic. The Wait. civil rights movement is over. Dr. White. Yes. Dr. White. It was our generation, Kurt L. Smoke, who decided he wanted to be the mayor of Baltimore, disregarded the, 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 the things that came before us, the people who cut the path for us to even get the positions where we were, said that he, that he was more qualified because he was a Rhodes Scholar, Rhodes Scholar, when Baltimore needed a road scholar, not a road scholar. You're talking about Baltimore, but what does that have to do with the civil rights movement, right. Fred? Civil rights movement? Yeah. Yes. Kurt Smoke's election. Uh, uh, well, think about it. it. During our watch, it shut down on our watch. My, you know, we all were going at the same time. The civil rights movement shut down on our watch. Because we, we didn't pass the baton. That's right. We got to 64. 65, and we, thought, like, Wait a minute, we thought we had arrived. Just like the young man said, some of y'all convinced black people should vote with Democrats for the rest of your life, okay? Even though, they treat, even though they treated us like crap. Now, when I, when I decided, wait a minute, you're not the same major, Sister Cazina, and the way we were on the same my mouth. Okay? When I decided to register as, to vote, when I got old enough to register to vote, you know the only picture I, I had in my mind was? was them putting dogs on us in Alabama. They were Democrats. Oh, yeah. We know the okay. Dixiecrats. Dixiecrats. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, no. They were Democrats. They Go ahead, Uncle Fred. Okay? When, I, when, I, when, I, when the people say, what do you want to be when you register? I couldn't see putting my name down, putting Democrat beside my name. How about Independent? I'll beg your pardon? How about Independent? Independent, because think about this. I heard you mention Lincoln earlier. But before you go to Lincoln, don't you agree that all of that changed with, with Goldberg, Goldwater? Yes. Goldwater is when the Republican Party shifted from the party of Lincoln to the, to party. the party of oppression. Right. Well, it seems like the, the, misleading, the misleading thing that you keep saying about the party of Lincoln is this. What do you, who do you think who do you think Frederick Douglass was arguing with? Line one, you are live with Sister Ann and Dr. Umar. And it's How you doing, brother? How you doing, brother? Uh, Peace and love. I'm sorry, I didn't know the flash. No, that's okay, brother. No, 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 I'd rather, rather listen to you. Than you see, you you look at this one, too, Sister Ann. Uh-huh. I'd rather hear you talk than to hear myself talk. Uh, H. Rep. Brown, I have never heard anybody um, uh, closer uh, in their philosophy than you to uh, Brother uh, Jamil Abdullah Alamein. In fact, it's amazing you mention that, Brother, because he's one of the last leaders who we still have with us from the black power generation, and yes. I believe he's in prison out in the Midwest. They keep yes, moving him further and further away. Yes, it is, is my intent to go visit the elder, and I'm yes, glad you brought this up because I've been meaning to get in contact with Sister Pam Africa to find out uh, exactly what prison he's in and what methods and means I need to take to go visit him. I think it's important for me being one of the young leaders of this generation to definitely connect with him because when I look at him, if you were to say, Dr. Umar, who's somebody you most resemble? It might even be Jamil Alameen 
or I'm going to give it the name you were, H. Rap Brown. Brown, right? I may be more of an H. Rap Brown even before a Malcolm. Malcolm was strong. Oh, yes, but, sir. But Malcolm was with, within a nation who, and they really didn't get involved in political work. Yes, sir. You see, H. Rap Brown was involved knee deep in the political work right next to Stokely. Yes, he was. You follow me? So yes, he's sir. a big hero of mine, and I, I would be very, very disappointed in myself if I don't get to meet that brother while he's still with us in the flesh. Well, so, and another thing, too, is like I'm, I'm editing a, a couple of his speeches for Black History Month, Africana Magazine News, and that's on anchor.fm. Welcome to the Africana Magazine News Podcast. I'm your host, Eugene Brown. At Cousins, you'll be able to create your own brand. Self. Uh, you can reach out to Real Care Network. Just does us good to be able to know when, when we have our homeless people, we can equip them. So if you have your donations and you have things, clean your closet out. I challenge everybody with that. So if you have those items clean, ready, you want to drop them off, you can always drop them off at our new office location, 2524 North Charles Street, the lower level. Or you can give Sister Sakina a call, our donation coordinator, bringing in things, putting in things, 410-314-8422. You can always support and sponsor us and go to www.gofundme.com slash housingfirst. You can follow us on Facebook and join our day-to-day feedings, hashtag homeless, not invisible ministry, and go to our cash app. Dallas Sign, Real Care Network, and support what we are doing in the city of Baltimore. This podcast was recorded in the Elizabeth Brown Studios in Baltimore, Maryland. Africana Magazine News presents Is segregation the same today in 2019 as it was in 1954, when integration was the remedy for desegregation. I believe that it is not. I believe that they are two different animals today. In 1954, in 1954, desegregation was based on de jure segregation. Today, it's based on de facto segregation. What's the difference between the two? In 1954, or during Jim Crow, there were laws specifically made to separate the races. The Supreme Court found this to be unconstitutional. Today, de facto segregation is in place. In other words, there are no laws being broken and the fact that we have been 
resegregated is based on basically people voting with their feet and left the areas that were formerly integrated. And that way the remedy of integration where black people uh, literally were sitting next to white people or they had equal accommodation or rules put in place it no longer exist because people have voluntarily uh, moved or displaced themselves or relocated is all de facto there were no laws that made them do this sometimes it was based on economic conditions better economic conditions and both of the races uh, both of the races being black and white so therefore no again no laws have been broken if you go back and look at uh, Brown versus the Board of Education it applied to elementary and secondary education black colleges and universities were not part of the original Brown versus the Board of Education uh, litigation. This came afterwards. It was Fordyce versus Mississippi that established that colleges and universities, black colleges and universities, were now subject to the Brown versus the Board of Education ruling prior to uh, Fordyce versus Mississippi, this did not apply. It applies now. And it's very important that we understand that black colleges and universities, they have been literally resegregated again. Or resegregated. And the answer is, or how to overcome the fact that they are segregated again, you still have to use the formula of integration. And how do you do that? You have to put in place unique programs that are only at the historically black colleges and universities. And that way it will attract all those other minorities back to the uh, HBCUs and including white people because white people are not a, not a uh, minority. I'm sorry white men aren't minorities but it, it's set up to reintegrate the black colleges and universities uh, which is in effect reverse integration because integration worked the other way. We integrated into their systems. And that's how it was originally. I found it interesting, the argument that uh, my brother Fred was having with Dwight Pettit in reference to the failure, the failure that we have gone through or how we dropped the ball, uh, our generation. And basically what we're talking about and what they were talking about was uh, the civil rights movement. But 
of course they didn't address the black they didn't address the black power movement which failed also uh, 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 about the same time approximately three years after the civil rights movement failed uh, when Dr. Martin Luther King was killed. You know, moving forward, the Black Panthers, uh, uh, the uh, SNCC, and the leaders of those organizations were literally assassinated. So I ask you, who dropped the ball? What I've done is, I have a recording of H. Rap Brown. And H. Rap Brown was probably the last revolutionary to be arrested on, on or about 1970, 1971. He was tried here in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, in Bel Air, Maryland, and was, I guess, sentenced to a life a sentence. He's still in jail and he's still alive today. Uh, he changed his name. His name is Jamil Abdullah Alamein and he's in the uh, federal system uh, as we speak right now. So I have put up uh, in this podcast a speech that he gave and uh, and he talked about integration among other things so I uh, hope you enjoy this podcast uh, it's the first in a series of uh, uh, some of the forgotten uh, leaders in the struggle for those of us who believe that we fall short of democracy for everybody I hope you enjoy Enjoy this podcast. Seems to me that the institutions that function in this country are clearly racist and that they're built upon racism. And the question then is how can black people inside of this country move? And then how can white people who say they're not a part of those institutions begin to move? And how then do we begin to clear away the obstacles that we have in this society that make us live like human beings. How can we begin to build institutions that will allow people to relate with each other as human beings? This country has never done that, especially around the country of white or black. Now, several people have been upset because we said that integration was irrelevant when initiated by blacks, and that in fact it was a subterfuge, an insidious subterfuge, for the maintenance of white supremacy. Now, we maintain that in the past six years or so, this country has been feeding us a thalatomide drug of integration, and that some Negroes have been walking down a dream street talking about sitting next to white people, and that that does not begin to solve the problem. That when we went to Mississippi, we did not go to sit next to Ross Barnett. We did not go to sit next to Jim Clark. We went to get them out of our way. And that people ought to understand that. That we were never fighting for the right to integrate. We were fighting against white supremacy.
Now then, in order to understand white supremacy, we must dismiss the fallacious notion that white people can give anybody their freedom. No man can give anybody his freedom. A man is born free. You may enslave a man after he is born free. And that is, in fact, what this country does. It enslaves black people after they're born. So that the only act that white people can do is to stop denying black people their freedom. That is, they must stop denying freedom. They never give it to anyone. Now, we want to take that to its logical extension so that we could understand, then, what its relevancy would be in terms of new civil rights bills. I maintain that every civil rights bill in this country was passed for white people, not for black people. For example, I am black. I know that. I also know that while I am black, I am a human being. And therefore, I have the right to go into any public place. White people didn't know that. Every time I tried to go into a place, they stopped me. So some boys had to write a bill to tell that white man he's a human being. Don't stop him. That bill was for that white man, not for me. I knew it all the time. I knew it all the time. I knew that I could vote and that that wasn't a privilege, it was my right. Every time I tried, I was shot, killed, or jailed, beaten, or economically deprived. So somebody had to write a bill for white people to tell them, when a black man comes to vote, don't bother him. That bill again was for white people, not for black people. So that when you talk about open occupancy, I know I can live any place I want to live. It is white people across this country who are incapable of allowing me to live where I want to live. You need a civil rights bill, not me. I know I can live where I want to live. So that the failure to pass a civil rights bill isn't because of black power, isn't because of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, is not because of the rebellions that are occurring in the major cities. It is incapability of whites to deal with their own problems inside their own communities. That is the problem of the failure of the Civil Rights Bill. And so in a larger sense, we must then ask, how is it that black people move? And what do we do? But the question in the greater sense is how can white people who are the majority and who are responsible for making democracy work, make it work? They have miserably failed to this point. They have never made democracy work, be it inside the United States, Vietnam, South Africa, the Philippines, South America, Puerto Rico, wherever America has been. She has not been able to make democracy work. So that in a larger sense, we not only condemn the country for what is done internally, but we must condemn it for what it does externally. We see this country trying to rule the world, and someone must stand up and start articulating that this country is not God and cannot rule the world. So the question then clearly is not, whether or not one can work, it's who has power. Who has power to make his or her acts legitimate. That is all. 
And that this country, that power is invested in the hands of white people, and they make their acts legitimate. It is now, therefore, for black people to make our acts legitimate. Now, we are engaged in a psychological struggle in this country, and that is whether or not black people will have the right to use the words they want to use without white people giving their sanction to it. And that we maintain whether they like it or not, we're going to use the word black power and let them address themselves to that. But that we are not going to wait for white people to sanction black power. We're tired waiting. Every time black people move in this country, they're forced to defend their position before they move. It's time that the people who are supposed to be defending their position do that. That's white people. They ought to start defending themselves as to why they have oppressed and exploited us. Now, it is clear that when this country started to move in terms of slavery, the reason for a man being picked as a slave was one reason, because of the color of his skin. If one was black, one was automatically inferior, inhuman, and therefore fit for slavery. So that the question of whether or not we are individually suppressed is nonsensical and it's a downright lie. We are oppressed as a group because we are black. Not because we're lazy, not because we're apathetic, not because we're stupid, not because we smell, not because we eat watermelon and have good rhythm. Right? We are oppressed because we are black. And in order to get out of that oppression, one must wield the group power that one has, not the individual power which this country then sets the criteria under which a man may come into it. That is what is called in this country as integration. You do what I tell you to do, and then we'll let you sit at the table with us. And that we are saying that we have to be opposed to that. We must now set a criteria, and that if there's going to be any integration, it's going to be a two-way thing. If you believe in integration, you can come live in what? You can send your children to the ghetto schools. Let's talk about that. If you believe in integration, then we're going to start adopting us some white people to live in our neighborhood. So it is clear that the question is not one of integration or segregation. Integration is a man's ability to want to move in there by himself. If someone wants to live in a white neighborhood and he is black, that is his choice. It should be his right. It is not because white people will not allow him. So vice versa, if a black man wants to live in the slums, that should be his right. Black people will let him. That is the difference. And it's a difference on which this country makes a number of logical mistakes when they begin to try to criticize the program articulated by SNCC. Now, we maintain that we cannot be afford to be concerned about 6% of the children in this country, black children, who you allow to come into white schools. We have 94% who still live in shacks. We are going to be concerned about those 94%. You ought to be concerned about them, too. The question is, are we willing to be concerned about those 94%? Are we willing to be concerned about the black people who will never get to Berkeley, who will never get to Harvard, and cannot get an education, so you'll never get a chance to rub shoulders with them and say, well, he's almost as good as we are. He's not like the others. The question is, how can white society begin to move to see black people as human beings. I am black, therefore I am. Not that I am black and I must go to college to prove myself. I am black, therefore I am. 
and don't deprive me of anything and say to me that you must go to college before you gain access to X, Y, and Z. It is only a rationalization for one's oppression. The question then is how can white people move to start making the major institutions that they have in this country function the way it is supposed to function? That is the real question. And can white people move inside their own community and start tearing down racism where, in fact, it does exist? Where it exists. It is you who live in Cicero and stop us from living there. It is white people who stop us from moving into Grenada. It is white people who make sure that we live in the ghettos of this country. It is white institutions that do that. They must change in order, in order for America to really live on a basic principle of human relationships, a new society must be born. Racism must die, and the economic exploitation of this country of non-white people around the world must also die. Must also die. Now, there are several programs that we have in the South amongst some poor white communities, we're trying to organize poor whites on a base where they can begin to move around the question of economic exploitation and political disfranchisement. We know we've heard the theory several times, but few people are willing to go into there. The question is, can the white activists not try to be a Pepsi generation who comes alive in a black community, but can he be a man who's willing to move into the white community and start organizing where the organization is needed? Can he do that? The question is, can the white society or the white activists disassociate themselves with two clowns who waste time parrying with each other rather than talking about the problems that are facing people in this state? Can you disassociate yourself with those clowns and start to build new institutions that will eliminate all idiots like them? And the question is, if we are going to do that, when and where do we start and how do we start? We maintain that we must start doing that inside the white community. Our own personal position politically is that we don't think the Democratic Party represents the needs of black people. We know it don't. And that if, in fact, white people really believe that, the question is if they're going to move inside that how are they going to organize around a concept of whiteness based on true brotherhood and based on stopping exploitation, economic exploitation, so that there will be a coalition base for black people to hook up with? You cannot form a coalition based on national sentiment. That is not a coalition. If you need a coalition to redress itself to real changes in this country, white people must start building those institutions inside the white community. And that is the real question, I think, facing the white activists today. Can they, in fact, begin to move into and tear down the institutions which have put us all in a trick bag that we've been into for the last hundred years? I don't think that we should follow what many people say, that we should fight to be leaders of tomorrow. Frederick Douglass said that the youth 
should fight to be leaders today. And God knows we need to be leaders today because the men who run this country are sick. Are sick. So that can we on a larger sense begin now today to start building those institutions and to fight to articulate our position, to fight to be able to control our universities. We need to be able to do that and to fight to control the basic institutions which perpetuate racism by destroying them and building new ones. That's the real question that faces us today. And it is a dilemma because most of us do not know how to work. And that the excuse that most white activists find is to run into the black community. Now, we've maintained that we cannot have white people working in the black community, and we've made it on a psychological ground. The fact is that all black people often question whether or not they are equal to white. Because every time they start to do something, white people are around showing them how to do it. If we are going to eliminate that for the generation that comes after it, then black people must be seen in positions of power doing and articulating for themselves. For themselves. That is not to say that one is a reverse racist. It is to say that one is moving on a healthy ground. It is to say what the philosopher Sartre says. One is becoming an anti-racist racist. And this country can't understand that. Maybe it's because it's all caught up in racism. But I think what you have in SNCC is an anti-racist racism. We are against racists. Now, if everybody who's white see themselves as a racist and then see us against them, they're speaking from their own guilt position, not ours. Now, then, the question is, how... Can we move to begin to change what's going on in this country? I maintain, as we have... My podcast is now available on Anchor FM, Google Podcast, and Spotify. It is also available on Breaker and Radio Public.